Could I ask all of you to turn to Mark chapter 14, please? And we're going to look at the Gospel of Mark. Remember, this is written by Mark, dictated uh, by Peter. This is Peter's Gospel. We're going to get some interesting insights from Peter and both Mark. I I think Mark had some uh, input as well. But if you'll remember, the Gospel of Mark is a training manual for the disciples who will follow throughout all the generations to come. It's, it's a training manual for all of us, and uh, it's no different at this point when we look at Mark 14 when Jesus is going to be betrayed, and uh, if we could give a grade to most all of the disciples and followers of Jesus, we'd all get a failing grade, an F, because in our own strength and in our own abilities, how many of you know that we find ourselves confused, we find ourselves bewildered, we find ourselves scared from time to time? We can, make ourselves, we can make our way through, but there are many times we, we find it difficult, and we're going to take a look at the, as a contrast that Mark shows us. Uh, he highlights at this point in, in the arrest of Jesus Christ uh, a contrast between a poser and a follower, and he's going to show us what a poser looks like, and he's going to show us what a follower looks like, and so I want to take you through this discussion and and take you through this process. So we begin in Mark chapter 14, starting at verse 10, and it begins like this. Then Judas Iscariot, who was one of the 12, went to the chief priests in order to betray him to them. And when he heard it, they were glad. When they heard it, they were glad and promised to give him money. And he sought an opportunity to betray him. Wow. You'll remember that what Mark showed us was the reason that Judas... Something happened in Judas that when that fragrance and when that act of worship that Mary poured out the alabaster box, something indignant happened in Judas. He, he was angry. He had had enough of this point that Jesus was making with death. No one understood it. He didn't understand why Jesus wasn't taking his place, wasn't taking his authority. I can't get into the mind of Judas. I prefer not to get into the mind of Judas. So I don't know what happened, but he, he rebelled and spoke against Jesus to where Jesus said, let her alone. He had to speak back to him, and something broke. Something happened in Judas. From that moment, he went out into the night, and he went to the Pharisees, he went to the Sadducees to betray Jesus, to sell him out, if you will. And it says at the end of that sentence that as he's ready to sell him out, Make this thing work, please. Uh huh, uh huh. He sought an opportunity to betray him. Now, what does that sound like to you? That's premeditated, isn't it? This is a premeditated betrayal. He sought him out to betray him. An opportunity. What opportunity could you have to betray Jesus? Now, wow, you know what? You're you're looking for the opportunity 
to go the other way. There are times that you and I fail. There are times that we fall short. There are times we even deliberately choose flesh over Jesus, but I don't think any of us would choose to seek and look for an opportunity to disgrace and to betray his name. And that's what Judas did. Now, it says that he achieved that, and so now Jesus is calling them. As you look in the Gospels, he tells them to go into Jerusalem, to go into the city, to see that there is a a house prepared for them and uh, to find their way to that. They don't know how they're going to do it. Jesus says, this is already prepared. Just go in and find and ask. And it turns out that they go to the house of Mary and she has an upper room. And so when they get there, they prepare to have Passover together. And as they're ready to have Passover, they're speaking about Passover. And uh, Jesus uh, begins that evening by saying to the twelve, As they're reclining and eating at the table, verse 17, he says this, Truly I say to you, one of you will betray me, one who is eating with me. Wow. Seriously? You're going to betray? And now we know exactly who he's talking to. And then he goes like, verse 19, this is the real interesting thing. They began to be sorrowful, and they said to him, one after another. Is it me? Wow. Let's start. We'll we'll start um, at the front of the rows of the congregation. and, and, And I'd like every one of you to ask Jesus, am I going to betray you? Are you that confident that you won't? We want to be there, right? The persecuted church, that's the one cry on their heart. Isn't it interesting? They don't want to be set free. They pray that they will not betray the Lord, either through beating or killing or whatever else. You see, that's on our heart. And isn't it interesting? It says in this text, at least Mark tells us, one after another. That means out of the 12, one by one, they say, Jesus, is it me? Haven't you ever done that? Haven't you ever asked the Lord, oh God, how did I fail you today? God, where have I missed it? Because there are so many times we don't even see our failures. There are things that we do, but we also fail the Lord in the things that we do not do. The sins of commission we usually figure out, but there's sins of omission, the things that he required of us to do, things he asked of us to do and we didn't. And I wonder if it comes down where you hear the voice of the Lord saying, one of you in this church is going to betray me. Would one after another, would you in your heart say, is it me? (laughs) You don't know what kind of faith you have till it's put to the test. I can tell you that. And you don't know where the real Christian is between the false Christian unless the fire is put to the faith. I don't want to betray Jesus. Do you? Is there anybody here that wants to betray Jesus? We could make this really easy. Just raise your hand. I don't know if Judas said, is it me? Because he knew it was. He already set the deal. Jesus, Jesus goes on. And he says, it is one of the 12, one who is dipping bread into the dish with me. 
For the Son of Man goes as it is written of Him. But woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been better for that man if he had not been born. Now, he, Jesus in other Gospels says, it is He who I dip into the sop and give. You see, uh, in the Passover meal, which we will be celebrating in a couple Wednesdays from now, there is the cup of maror, which is the bitter herb. And it is at this point in the Passover meal that Jesus dips his bread into the maror, the bitter herb, which you are to give to the honored guest at the table, and he gives it to Judas. It says that they didn't realize what he was doing. But Jesus very openly does this, gives it to Judas. And in John 13, 27, it says, Then after he had taken the morsel, Satan entered into Judas. And Jesus said to him, What you are going to do, do it quickly. And Judas leaves. I find it interesting in the timing of the Passover meal and this timing that Judas leaves, the betrayer leaves, because he does not enter into the covenant aspect of this meal when Jesus then goes to the third cup, the cup of redemption, and he brings out the bread and he breaks it and says, this is my body broken for you. This is my blood shed for you. But the betrayer left before that event took place. And he's going out now to betray Jesus. Wow. Now, it says that after the meal they had sung a hymn And uh, the hymn we know that you sing at the end of a Passover meal is Psalm 118. It is called the Hallel. You know the word, Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Praise to Yah, Yahweh. Praise be to God. So the Hallel, if you'll read Psalm 118, is a prophetic psalm about the death of Jesus Christ. The cornerstone that was rejected is the one that God is declaring. Save us now in the highest. It's it's an amazing prophetic song. You can imagine that something is very confusing at this meal, at this Passover, like none other. As they're taking it, he says someone's going to betray him. They're very sorrowful at this point. He says he has to leave, but he's giving the spirit. He says his body's broken, his blood is giving. Judas leaves. There's a split up in the disciples. Our team's broken up. And we've got to sing this song, and they're heavy on their heart, and Jesus is weary, and and something's just not right. I don't know if you've, in your walk, ever found something's just not right. It's just not adding up, and, and the devil came into our party. It goes on in verse 29, and it, I'm sorry, verse 26, it said, they went out to the Mount of Olives. And Jesus turns and says to them, now another thing, you will all fall away as it is written. I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. But after I'm raised up, I will go before you in Galilee. What? You said someone was going to betray. Now you're saying we're all going to do this. Now you're going to... Jesus, what are you saying to us? Is is this it? Are, Are you mad at us? Are you departing from us? 
What do you mean? We, I asked you if it was me. You, you didn't reply. I said, is it me? Am I going to betray? Now you say I'm going to fall away. I'm going to be scattered. I'm going to leave. You strike the, the shepherd. And then, of course, we know Peter rises up. And, and, and Peter loves the Lord passionately. And, and Peter says this in verse 29, even though they all fall away, I will not. I am not going to fall away. And Jesus said to him, truly I tell you, this very night before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. And he said emphatically, if I must die with you, Peter said, I, if, if I'm going to die with you, I'll not deny you. And they all said the same thing. That's right, yeah, yeah, I'm not going to deny you, Jesus. We're not going to deny you. Is this a test? We're not going to deny you. That's a real question to all of us concerning our faith. Our faith is easy right now. Some of you say, no, it's not, Pastor. I'm going through a divorce or I'm going through death. I'm going through the loss of a loved one. I'm going through financial heartache. I'm going through so much. We have family. We have friends. We have those who help. There, there are times when there's no one, nothing, and your very life is at stake. Many Christians right now around the world are in this place where it is between a sword of death on their neck or denying Jesus, a gun to their head, a gun to their wife and children, or denying Jesus. And, and they must make a decision. And so they have to decide, am I going to be a betrayer or a denier? Now there's a difference between a betrayer and a denier. We've already seen the betrayer go, but now we're looking at deniers. And, and, and so this is a really tough place to be in. And there are times, like I said, that We've all denied him. We have. You know you were spoken, you're supposed to have spoken for the Lord, or you know the Spirit prompted you to speak, and we didn't. We were embarrassed, or we didn't want to be rejected, and, and we felt it in our flesh, and so we denied that unction of the Lord. There's times we've all been there. This is, this is a, a, a very distressing situation. So Jesus goes a step further and he separates himself now, and he takes his three that are faithful, and he takes them apart, and he brings them further. And he, and he says, sit here while I pray to the twelve. And he took, in verse 33, Peter, James, and John, and he began to be greatly distressed and troubled. This thing is getting from sorrowful to distressed. And you can see the pressure mounting, can't you? You can, you can feel it in the air. You can see the separating and the breaking of part of all his followers. Judas leaves. The disciples uh, are going to deny. He separates the three and says, come with me. And he becomes even more distressed and, and he took Peter, James, and John, and he said to them, My soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch. And going a little farther, he fell on the ground and prayed that, if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. And he said, Oh, Abba, 
all things are possible. Remove this cup from me, yet not what I will, but you will. And he came back and he, he found them sleeping and he said to Peter, Peter, are you asleep? Could, couldn't you watch just an hour? So the three he called, the three of the inner circle, the three who saw the, the transfiguration and the glory, the three who he knew he could count on to know that this was a distressing time, to know that he said they'd all be scattered, that they would deny, and, and yet they're falling asleep. Now listen, don't be too harsh on them. Because in the Gospel of Luke, there's this very small statement in Luke 22, verse 45. It says that they fell asleep, exhausted from their grief. It wasn't as if they didn't care. Quite the opposite. They were so distressed and cared so much that they were completely drained of any energy. You see, Jesus was that distressed. Blood began to pour out of his face and his blood vessels breaking. He's so distressed. But yet under the unction of who he is as the Son of God, he could endure. But the flesh of man could not endure this kind of sorrow. Have you ever cried yourself to such emptiness that you have no energy left but to fall unconscious asleep? You know what I'm talking about, so drained and so broken. Jesus says, watch and pray. Peter, come on. Don't enter into temptation. Don't give in. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Then he went away again and he prayed at the same words. And again he came and found them sleeping for their eyes were very heavy. They did not know what to say to him. And a third time, He had gone back and prayed. Now a third time, don't you find it interesting that he prayed three times? He said, Peter, you'll be sifted like weed. How many times did Peter deny? And didn't Jesus say, Peter, I prayed for you? He went to the Father three times. He prayed to pray through this, pray through this. He came back the third time and he said, all right, all right. Are you still sleeping? He said, and taking your rest... It's enough. The hour's come. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. You see, my betrayer is at hand. He saw Judas coming and approaching the lights, the torches, the legion coming, the soldiers, the Pharisees, the Sadducees. They come to arrest him now. Peter stumbles awake and James and John, the rest of the twelve, probably come together now wondering what's going on. How could this be? goes on and it says, as Mark typically puts it, and immediately, while he was still speaking, Judas came, one of the twelve, and with him a crowd with swords and clubs from the chief priests and the scribes and elders. Now the betrayer had given them a sign saying, the one I will kiss is the man. Seize him and lead him away under your guard. It's interesting, he says, while Jesus was speaking, Judas and the guards came forward and Judas gave a kiss to identify. Could it be that as Jesus is speaking and Mark tells us his last words, my betrayer is at hand, that Judas is this close to his face while Jesus says that and kisses him? When they came 
to him, Jesus, Judas said, Rabbi. And they laid hands on him and seized him. But one of those who stood with him, that would be Peter, drew his sword and struck the servant, the high priest, and cut off his ear. That's Peter. I told you I'd defend you to the death. I'm ready for a fight. Come on, come on. In the other gospel accounts, we know that Jesus picked up that piece of that man's ear and put it back on and healed it instantly and said, if you're going to live by the sword, Peter, you're going to die by the sword. Jesus said to them, have you come out against us as if I'm a robber with swords and clubs to capture me? Day after day I've been in the temple teaching you. You did not seize me, but you let the scriptures be fulfilled. And they all left and fled. Verse 50, and they all left and fled. What did the disciples do, all of them? They all left and they fled. We'd stick with you, but yikes, there's a lot of guys here with swords and clubs and torches and we're outnumbered. Maybe we've got to rethink this. Maybe there's a better plan. Maybe there's a better way here. Surely you would not want us to be hurt. Interesting side note here in verse 51. And a young man followed him with nothing but a linen cloth around his body, and they seized him. But he left the linen cloth and ran away naked. It's like, what's, what's that about? Matthew doesn't talk about that. Mark, uh, Luke doesn't mention this, nor does John. What is this little insight, this little young person, this young believer who's naked but has a a bed sheet, a bed cover wrapped around him, and, and one of the guards grabs him and grabs it, and like a kid, he just whoop, lets it go and runs away naked. Well, many Bible scholars believe that this is John Mark, the writer of this gospel as a young boy. His mother was Mary. And in the book of Acts, we see that, remember, when Peter was arrested, they stayed in Mary's house, who had an upper room, to pray until Peter was released. And they say that Mary is the, the mother of John Mark. So it is most probable that the Last Supper in Jerusalem was at Mary's house, the mother of John Mark. And as they were in the upper room having the Passover meal, John Mark was in his bedroom as a boy. And as they left that house to go to the Garden of Gethsemane, that little rascal put on a bedsheet and followed them into the garden. And he saw this account. But he ran away too. Oh, you can't blame him. He's just a kid, huh? He's scared. Fear caused him to leave. And drove them all apart. But, but Peter had a better plan here now. You've got you've to realize that Though they all scattered, Peter had thought of something. Peter's not done yet. You remember, Peter vowed to Jesus. He made a vow. He said, ha, even if I have to die, I will not leave you. I will not betray. I will not deny. And so Peter comes away with a plan. He says, I'm going to stay as close to him as I can. And it says, uh, following verse 52, uh, and they led Jesus to the high priest, and all the chief priests and elders and scribes came together. And Peter had followed him at a distance, right into the courtyard of the high priest. I'm here, Jesus. I'm here, and I'm watching. And he was sitting with the guards, warming himself at the fire. 
Now the chief priests and the whole council were seeking testimony against Jesus to put him to death, but they found none. For many bore false witness against him, but their testimony did not agree. And some stood up and bore false witness against him, saying, We heard him say, I'll destroy this temple that is made by the hands of us, and in three days I will build another not made with hands. Yet even about this, their testimony did not agree. And the high priest stood up in the midst and asked Jesus, Have you no answer to make? What is it that these men testify against you? But he remained silent and made no answer. You have to understand that there's a crowd of people. Peter's in that crowd. What do you say about this man? Now, Peter could have stood up and said, He's a righteous man. He's a good... He's watching. He's waiting. He's, he's seeing what's going to happen. People are saying stupid things. I remember he said, you tear this temple down. I'll build it up without using my hands. People said, no, he said this. No, he said that. The people couldn't get it right. False accusations. The high priest says, come on, what do you say, Jesus? Jesus says nothing. And then the high priest says this. Again, the high priest asks, are you the Christ, the son of the blessed? In other words, are you the Messiah, the son of Yahweh? And Jesus said, I am. And you will see the son of man seated at the right hand of power and coming with the clouds of heaven. Now, that is a reference to Daniel 9, the the, the reference of the son of man coming in the clouds, the ancient of days who hands the scroll to one who has the Son of Man, it is a reference to Messiah. Jesus is saying, yes, I am the Messiah. Yes, I am the Son of God, which means I am of the same nature of God. And there's so many critics of the Bible, so many people who want to rewrite Scripture and say, Jesus never said he was God. Jesus never claimed to be the Messiah. Right there. Yes, he did. Direct question, are you the Messiah? Yes, I am. Are you the son of the blessed one, the son of God? You will see me coming in clouds of glory. They all understand the Old Testament reference to God returning. And he says, that's me. And the high priest did what? Tore his garments. Now that is against the law of Moses. The high priest should never tear his garments For him to tear his garment is to defraud himself and to lose his position as high priest. But he's so angered at the blasphemy of a man saying he's the son of God, he rips or rends his garment. And he said, what further witness do we need? You've heard this blasphemy. What's your decision? And they all condemned him as deserving of death. And some began to spit on him and to cover his face. And to strike him, saying, Prophesy! And the guards received him with blows. And as Peter was below in the courtyard, one of the servant girls of the high priest came. And seeing Peter warming himself, she looked at him and said, Hey, you also were with the Nazarene Jesus. And he denied it, saying, I neither know nor understand what you mean. I don't know what you're talking about. And he went out into the gateway, and the rooster crowed. And the servant girl saw him and and began again to say to the bystanders, hey, that guy's one of them. But again, he denied it. And after a little while, the the bystanders again said to Peter, certainly you're one of them. You're a Galilean. But he began to invoke a curse upon himself and to swear. 
I do not know this man of who you speak of. Now, he, he invoked a curse. In other words, by God, I don't know him. In other portions, it says he spoke curses and spoke uh, 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 what you would put in modern vernacular. He began swearing and cussing. I don't know him. I never knew him. I don't know him. And immediately the rooster crowed a second time. And Peter remembered how Jesus said to him before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. And he broke down and wept. Another fail of all his disciples. Remember, a denial is not a betrayal. He didn't betray Jesus. He denied him. But what's interesting about Peter's denial is that his intentions were good. Because you remember he said, I am not going to abandon you. So he did everything he could to stay close. And he thought if he could deny and still stay close, he'd be faithful. He thought if he could, well, it's just a little lie. He could still stay close. If in his righteous efforts to stay close to Jesus, he'd say, I don't know him, but keep an eye on him. Because it says in Luke that the third time he denied him, Jesus turned and saw Peter. So he was still close enough for them to lock eyes. And Peter actually thought he was doing the right thing, but ended up saying the wrong thing. I don't know if you've ever done that before. In all our religious efforts to be right, For Jesus, we act wrongly. There are times in our righteous indignation we speak against someone in such a foul way in order to support Christianity, but we deny the character of Jesus. You see it all the time among Christians. We are so unloving and, in fact, sometimes hateful in our righteous indignation, that by that attitude, it's a denial of the true nature of Christ, but in our effort to be like Christ, we've put ourselves in this place. And so we need to weep bitterly. Pastor, this is a bit of a downer message. I didn't write it. Mark did. Why would Mark write a message like this? To tell us about Jesus, yeah, but... It's about his disciples, isn't it? It's about the response of the disciples. So we have to ask ourselves, have we ever done this? What has been the the character and the story of the disciples, the followers of Jesus throughout the ages? I, I think we could classify the disciples throughout this whole thing, throughout all the ages to fit into this category. Uh, uh, First of all, uh, are there people throughout the ages and even today, and dare I say in our midst today, are there posers among those who say they are Christians, but they're not? Um, Nowadays, you have to differentiate between who is a Christian and who is a Bible-believing 
Christian. Because you could ask of the 12 disciples, which of you are disciples of Jesus and which of you are followers of Jesus? You see, so there was Judas. There was one who followed the crowd. He was actually part of the anointing. He he learned the language of Jesus. He heard all the teachings. He operated with him, but he was never fully convinced or persuaded as to who he was. As John puts it in 1 John, they went out from us because they were never of us. And so we're going to see a great falling away in the church as times get harder and harder. When it is time for the garden experience, you'll see a great falling away of those who will betray. Why? Because they were not of us, but yet they had that title. Then we'll find others that are are like the other nine who simply scattered in fear. And I'll be honest with you, in my younger days, there were situations I ran from that that I, I didn't deny, I didn't betray. I just didn't show up. I think that's evident today, I'd say, about the church in America. Where is she? I think she ran away naked. Now, there's a difference between John Mark. He's, he's a young kid. There's one thing about young converts. Young converts are very unsure of themselves. They're very conflicted, right? There are times that their faith hasn't been tested enough, so they wonder, God, where are you? What are you doing? This doesn't sound good. I think I'm just going to take this time off and run away, run out from under the covering of Jesus. But there's no excuse for those who followed him for three years, those who were with him, and in this last moment to run away and go missing. And then you have Peter, faithful Peter, the diehard. I'm going to be there no matter what. And he was, through his own efforts and through his own abilities, he tried to cut someone's ear off, and he eventually denies he even knows Jesus, and in all of his best efforts, he blew it, and in the end, denied him. Who was better off, the nine that ran away or Peter? <laughs> they probably were bitter over what they did by running away, but Peter even more so by what he attempted to do. I don't know if you've been there and done that. There is one, believe it or not, out of the 12 that didn't say anything, but he didn't go anywhere either. He stayed with Jesus even through the time of the cross. And that was John, the beloved. He stayed faithful. And there it is, the remnant, isn't it? The remnant. There is a remnant of believers that will make it and stand firm for the Lord Jesus Christ. Now listen, remnants don't show up at the last minute. They are faithful from the beginning to end. A remnant isn't a crisis moment decision. The remnant believer is a true believer from beginning to end. 
He will stay. He doesn't have to figure out, should I stay? Should I go? He's already died to himself for the sake and the cause of Christ. Are you a remnant believer? It's a question I ask you. It's a question I challenge you with. And I want us to all challenge our own hearts. Am I a remnant believer? Am I a John who will stand at the cross? Am I a John who will follow you through the streets on the way of sorrow? Am I one who will follow you to the end? Am I the one who will run right into the tomb when I know exactly what happened? Folks, will you be that remnant? Will you be that faithful witness on the earth? A message to the disciples throughout all the ages. Paul says this, If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. What amazes me about Jesus is, all of his followers, three years he put into them, three years he had put into them, tried to teach them, tried to train them. They scatter, but he knew it. It didn't keep him from the cross. In fact, he said, yet for the joy set before me, I will endure the cross. The joy set before him was to honor his father, was to obey his father. The joy set before him was to bring salvation to all of mankind, to know he was betrayed, to know he was denied, but he still prayed for them. He still cared for them. He still died for them. That's us. That's us. And I am here to tell you, even if you fail him, or have failed him, or will fail him, he will remain faithful to you. That's our Jesus. That's our Jesus. Jesus restored, as we'll see later, Peter. He restored the disciples. He restored them. And so... I don't know what you've been through and I don't know where your walk is and I don't know if you've betrayed, denied, ran away or just messed it up. He is still faithful to his promises to you. So let us pray. Father God, right now, minister grace to us. Minister grace grace to us and heal us if we've been faithless you are faithful if somehow we've betrayed denied even in our best efforts to stand in righteousness failed miserably forgive us may we weep bitterly and be encouraged to walk in a greater anointing to be faithful May we be the John of the New Testament. In Jesus' name, amen.